When I look in the mirror, I don't see wrinkles. When I look in the mirror, I see hair on my head, not my shoulder. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the fountain of truth. The fountain of truth about what? Well, the fountain of truth about aging. And we have been talking about intergenerationalism. We've been talking about body image. We've been talking about how you feel after retirement and why there is such a thing as retirement burnout. You think you can only burn out from work, or you can also burn out from retirement. And we're going to be talking about all of these things, but we're going to be talking about them with a very special person. Her name is Quinn Teachma, and she is going to be, I think, right, uh, Miss Universe. She's part of the Miss Universe pageant. Uh, we're going to be following her. She's right now in Calgary, one of my favorite places because I was up there for the stampede. But she has quite a story in her life and quite a journey from living in an offshore, off-the-grid island to not only becoming a beauty queen, but becoming one of the leaders. And I will say not only the thought leaders, but the look and feel leader in the field of body image. She's a photographer, a very renowned photographer. She has her own boudoir studio. We're going to be talking about boudoir photography, body image, and we're going to be talking about the arts, healing through the arts. And that's only a fraction of what we'll be speaking about with Quinn. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for the discussion. Well, you've got quite a story. Uh, they call it a U-shaped story where things didn't always, wasn't always as wonderful for you as it is today. And you are a beauty queen. I learned today that you are just finishing. Uh, there'll be a premiere of your very first movie that you're starring in. You are rocking TikTok and the <laughs> world with your good causes. But it was not always that way. Tell us a little bit about what we'll call today the origin story. Uh, growing up in quite a remote island off the coast of Canada. Explain that to us and, and how it kind of affected your devotion to the arts right now and to body image and all the things that we talk about on our show when it comes to how we feel about ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah, it's certainly been an interesting journey. It's never a dull moment. I grew up on Laskiti Island. It's very off the grid, about maybe 300 people. And we didn't have any electricity or indoor plumbing. I mean, for years, our sink was really just a hose through the window <laughs> from a wow. swamp. So I definitely didn't have the typical uh, childhood. And I think that it's given me an interesting perspective on life and um, self-love and just acceptance. And it was definitely interesting making the transition into a more typical life. And I feel like now I like to be an example of, you know, what you can do with your life, no matter where you come from. So certainly, as I said in our little uh, pre-talk, I spent only seven days. It felt like 700 years in a small island uh, called Nikolsky. It had 34 Inuit Indians, and I was there for the first time. They were putting in some wind power. And I have to say, I don't know if I could have done it. It was very difficult. But we also have this idealized concept of what it might be like to live offshore, off the grid, 300 people. People honestly here in the, uh, in the California area are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to get off the grid. 
Yeah, fascinating to me that you had lived in, in your origin story, as I said, was offshore, very remote, 300 people. And I kind of feel for you in that because I spent a little bit of time, only about 10 days, in Nikolsky, which has 34 Inuit Indians, and they were putting in wind power for the first time. And honestly, I feel in my life I could not do that. I would have had a very difficult childhood. But at the same time, we have an idealized view of what it must be like to live in a very small community in nature, offshore, off the grid. Tell us a little bit about the goods and the bads during that period of time for you. And how do you think it formed you to what you've become now? I think growing up so uniquely has given me a perspective of wanting to connect with people. You know, it it's really brought me to a place where it's important to me that the individuals that are in my life are people that are very true to themselves and good to themselves. And those connections are strong. And, you know, quality over quantity is kind of the way I look at it. And those are the types of relationships I want to build with the people closest to me. And I think that that does come from being a smaller, uh, close knit family growing up, you know, we didn't have refrigeration. So that was a huge part of it, you know, having to organize even just feeding a family without any refrigeration. My dad always said, you learn really quick what food lasts (laughs) and what food you can eat past its expiration date and what food is no good past the expiration date. And we did have a very limited diet growing up. My mom grew most of our own food and um, we would do once a month, we'd go to the mainland uh, by skiff, just a little 12 foot aluminum skiff, we'd cross over and get some groceries. But of course, we had to do picking and choosing of what we were purchasing, because it's definitely not, um, you know, you just have to be smart about what you're purchasing when you have limited funds, and limited uh, ways to prepare the food and to keep the food. I remember we would actually walk all the way down this massive hill to a cave and in the cold water in the cave was where we would store some of the uh, more cool temperature foods. And we actually set up a Pelton wheel in the winter time so that we could have a few running lights during the winter time um, rather than just living by candlelight. And then our bathing facilities were, it was actually a cast iron tub. And uh-huh. we would build a fire underneath the tub to warm the water up. So you'd soap up outside of the bathtub and then you'd dump a bucket of very cold water <laughs> all over nice. your body to get the soap off. And then you would warm up in the tub after. So I I think that growing up like that gives you this desire to have very close people in your life that you care deeply for. And it gives you... For me personally, it gave me this desire to do more and build more and be an example of more. My parents, despite having limited resources, they did make one thing very important in my childhood development, and that was being aware of other cultures and experiencing other cultures. So when I was 12 years old and before, for years, my parents did take every penny that they had and made sure that they traveled with us. I have two older sisters as well. And my dad took me to Nepal, and 
I got to see not only the culture there, but also how other students and kids were suffering. And there was kids sleeping in garbage on the streets. I saw kids sniffing glue. And I think combined with that experience of traveling and then experiencing living off the grid like that and feeling that connection to those kids on the street, it gave me this overall burning desire to be an example of it doesn't matter where you come from, whether you are sleeping in a pile of garbage growing up or you're living on a rock with nothing, it doesn't matter. You can build your goals and you can decide what your goals are and you can accomplish those things. And I've seen, yeah. You've you've seen it all. And I, I want to make sure that we understand the idea of your education. Mm-hmm. because you are very educated, obviously very well-traveled, and you did get an affinity for the arts. Mm. So is that something that your parents promoted? Um, of course, you're a photographer. Did you start when you were young? How did that occur? Yeah, my mom was actually a teacher. So my mom is very, very educated. She When I grew up, she was actually just going through the process of becoming a teacher. Now, this was as I was kind of going into my um, double-digit years, and she is a Waldorf school teacher. And most people don't know Waldorf schools, but perhaps you would know a Montessori school. They're very, very similar, and they're all about the arts, and they're all about embracing kids' natural abilities and talents. So I was so blessed to grow up with a mom who really promoted that and really pushed that and told me that it was important for me to go after things that I enjoyed doing. And that's kind of where my journey into the arts began. She was always very artistic. We were always painting, and I did a lot of private uh, education through her. So I did go to a Waldorf school growing up and we did do painting class every day in school. So I think that that's where my love for the arts originated. And then I kind of found photography through the modeling industry when I was about 15. And I just loved the creative and um, artistic options that photographers had. Whereas when I was starting in the modeling industry, I felt like I didn't get that. I didn't have any control of what the artwork outcome was, but the photographer held that control and that's what attracted me to it. So you became the photographer instead of the subject. And actually you're both because you're Mm -hmm. now a a beauty pageant. You're a beauty pageant winner and now a contender for a very, very high ranking uh, Miss Universe uh, pageant. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about that because I do know that you're a very, very strong woman, a strong feminist, and yet you're also participating in a beauty pageant. And there are a lot of people who would say, wait, wait a minute. Isn't that contraindicated? Well, we will talk about that. Don't you guys go anywhere. Full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit. Because I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da-da-da-da. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bell, the Fountain of Truth. 
the fountain of truth about aging. We're speaking with a very special person today. Uh, her name is Quinn Teachma, and she is not only a photographer, she's not only a beauty pageant winner and contender for Miss Universe, she is not only an entrepreneur, but she's a real storyteller. Somebody who has lived off the grid, was born there, had very educated parents, did her traveling, but things weren't always looking up for her. And we're going to be talking about that in a moment. And in that context, I want to invite you to a free event that we're having on May 17th. It's only 90 minutes. It's called Three Keys to Successful Aging, Live Fearlessly and Joyfully. And by the way, the business of living fearlessly and joyfully is cognitive. Fear and joy are among the only two feelings that you cannot harbor at the same time. So if you are afraid, you cannot be joyful. If you are joyful, you are not afraid. And we will show you how to make that transition from fear to joy. And we're doing it in the context of the older adult, three keys to successful aging, but everyone at every age is welcome. Simply go to my website, adrianberg.com. It will give you the full description of the May 17th event, and then it will take you immediately to Eventbrite, where you can register totally free of charge. And that is A-D-R-I-A-N-E-B-E-R-G.com. So let's go back to Quinn Teachman, our wonderful guest. Uh, we, we give a little cliffhanger there uh, in our last session together, uh, Quinn, because I certainly want you to talk about your position as a beauty pageant winner and contender, but you're also a feminist. You like to deal with the the issue of becoming a confident, strong woman. I certainly like your phrase, uh, a strong woman is somebody who will fix your sister's crown without telling the world that, that you did it and it was crooked in the first place. I just love that that sisterhood that you bring mm-hmm. to the table, even in your photography. But it wasn't always like that. So let's talk a bit about the background that you had with regard to bullying and why you've been using that in your photography, in the way you um, you acted at pageants to make a change in the world. It is so important to me to embrace everyone, no matter where you come from, what you look like, who you are. I want to be that safe space and I want my studio to be that safe space, especially for women. I definitely did not have that typical upbringing as we spoke about in our last session. And it showed when I was migrating into the public school, it was definitely difficult. That's those are scars that are still there. You know, it um, it's unfortunate that kids are cruel and, you know, we just don't necessarily have those tools at that age to be aware of the damage that we're doing to each other when we are cruel. And I definitely experienced a lot of that bullying. I was always the weird kid. I, you know, I didn't have the fancy clothes. I wanted to go out and play in the dirt. I was often called like the forest child or um, all kinds of mean names. And often like when I was, I think 13, I had an unfortunate experience where all my hair was chopped off and I was called Quentin 
at school. So, you know, I wanted to do something with my life that would provide that safe space where everyone would feel accepted, no matter the length of their hair and no matter what they envisioned themselves like. I wanted to give them a day where they felt like a total queen. And that's what inspired me to go after my dreams with boudoir and create this beautiful studio for women. You know, it's interesting. Um, one of the terrible things that our culture does, and I won't even put a finger at our Western culture. I don't, I'm not so sure it is any different anywhere else, is the uh, negative body image of the older woman. Mm-hmm. Same with the older man, but really the older woman, let's face it. And it is, uh, I spoke to the very famous Gloria Steinem at a conference uh, last year. And she said, all politics is womb politics when I asked her about (laughs) ageism. Yeah. When I asked her about ageism, that's what she said. And, you know, there's an element of of absolute uh, truth to that. Our body image is slim, perfect, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the the long hair, which is the minute you said your hair was chopped off, I just cringed. I just cringed. You immediately feel it. You can't help it. Absolutely. And my personally was body shamed, which we didn't even have a word when I was a kid in the, in the fifties, um, mm-hmm. called body shaming. Mm-hmm. They just called you fat yeah, or said other things about you. Even to the point that in the store, Quinn, there was a big sign and it said chubby corner. Oh, and that's wow. where I had to shop. And mm-hmm. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of my time looking much better after the age of 50. And I think this is why I love my aging. Part of Mm -hmm. it is vanity, I must say. So let's talk about that. You are a feminist. You are also a beauty pageant uh, person. And, you know, we think about the old uh, Miss America. We think, oh, (laughs) exploitive, exploitive. Give Mm -hmm. us the the truth. This is the the fountain of truth. What's the truth about body about body image and these pageants and how they treat women. Has it changed as much as we hope it has? I think it's always evolving just like anything else. I do think that it has changed a lot very significantly in the last few years. You know, in the 70s, when you walked out on stage, they used to announce your measurements, your height, your weight. And the beauty pageant scene was all about beauty. That's how they evolved and how they started. And, you know, we've come a long way since then. But I feel like the awareness on the subject hasn't necessarily come a long way. These days, pageants are much more about who is this individual standing on the stage? What good are they doing? And what is their platform? It's not just about the platform of Miss Universe Canada. It's about the actual platform that every individual contestant is bringing forward and what they would like to promote through their year of reign. You know, we are bringing forward donations. We are fundraising for incredible causes. And we are showcasing that we are strong women in our society that want to make that positive change. It's not just about how much we weigh and what we look like. Is being healthy and having a healthy body to reflect that? That's important, yes, but it's not the main um, main part of the pageant industry anymore. The fact is, is that we have changed and we would like to showcase to the world that beauty pageants are so much more than that. And of course, a lot of it is scholarships too. The kinds of things that you get generally do further the education of the winners, I would think. How about behind the scenes though? Uh, as a woman who wants other women to fix the crown 
and do it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. let us say under the radar. So there's no bragging about it. How do you feel? Is there camaraderie? I mean, after all, these are very competitive people. Uh, I, yeah. I think that probably personality-wise, they're aggressive, competitive women that you're dealing with. I think so. I think it's interesting because in the pageant world, for this particular pageant in the Miss Universe um, series, we do about 60 competitors. And so you get a very large variety of women. And I love that because on one side, you've got your experienced pageant girls. Maybe they've even competed before and this is their next go around at taking that crown and deserving that crown. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got girls who are younger and just getting into this world. And it's always so interesting to me to see those girls compete because a lot of them have never done anything like a pageant. And some of them, even their parents have just said, hey, why don't you do this pageant? It's good for right. confidence. And they you get up. to see, yeah, they show up and, you know, they're nervous, like so nervous. And, and it's great to connect with women of all spectrums because I, first of all, I love to see that growth over the course of the week during the pageant and how how far those inexperienced girls come and how they blossom like flowers throughout that pageant week. And on the other end of the spectrum, those stronger competitors are the ones that light my own fire and say, wow, I need to push harder. I need to um, raise more funds. I need to work harder on my walk and I need to be ready and be deserving of that title because there are so many wonderful, beautiful competitors that are at that level with me. And I think that when you have surrounded yourself with strong people like that, it really pushes you to do more and be more. And I love seeing that within the pageant world. I, I'm sure that there's going to be a little bit of cattiness, but yep. overall, I think that these are just strong women who are doing wonderful, beautiful things in their lives. And they're the type of people that I want to be around. So when we come back, I want to talk about uh, some of these next steps. For example, your new movie, I also certainly want to talk about the idea of boudoir photography. And we're going to Mm -hmm. do a little slant on this, as I told you. And that is about the older body and showing Mm -hmm. off the older body and not being ashamed of the older body. But there's a little conflict that I have with that. And I'll tell you about it as soon as we get back. Don't you guys go anywhere. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. And we're going on a journey. Going on a journey today with a very special person. Her name is Quinn Teachma. She is a, yes, definitely a beauty pageant winner, a beauty pageant contender, Miss Universe. She's right now talking to us from Calgary. Uh, she is uh, participating, we're going to hear about this in a moment, in her very first leading role in cinema. She began with her origin story living off the grid uh, in a small island with only 300 people what it meant to her when she then went to school and how she was bullied and how she's used that 
as her catalyst to make a difference through the arts and through inclusiveness for all women everywhere. So, so Quinn, I, I wanted to ask you this, and I have a personal conflict with this. As I said to everybody and people who know me know, I had a real weight struggle for maybe five decades, right? Mm. And starting in my 50s, I began to exercise and eat correctly. And now I'm almost 74. And I probably have the best figure I've ever had. But I also am an older woman with sarcopenia, with a certain amount of wrinkles and so on. And we had Helen Mirren being shown by the paparazzi in her bikini a couple of years ago. And she was dynamite, absolute dynamite. So I do have this push-pull conflict. Do we show our bodies? Do we have a certain amount of decorum? Are we supposed to have a certain amount of decorum? But you've kind of cut through all that with boudoir photography. So tell us what that's about and explain uh, the fact that many, many of the women who come to you are over the age of 40. Are they showing off for their own vanity, for themselves, for a guy, for another woman? I'm not sure. What do you, how do you see it? I mean, you're one of the leaders actually in the field. How did it come about? And what do you think the motivations of your clients are? I believe there's a few different motivations of clients, but boudoir in general, I would say, is a little bit misunderstood. And I think that's because when you think boudoir, you kind of think those glamour shots in the 80s, <laughs> you know, the right. big hair, the blue eyeshadow. And maybe that is what boudoir used to be, but it's evolved so much. And, you know, the lingerie photos you see in advertisements for, um, say, like bras and underwear in walking through the mall, that's not boudoir. And if you looked at those photos in a magazine and said, oh, I want to do a boudoir shoot, I, I would correct you. And I would say that that is not a boudoir shoot. That's a modeling shoot or a promo shoot. And the difference between modeling and boudoir is that I specialize in helping everyday women who have never been in front of the camera or perhaps have only ever done maybe wedding photos, but no other photo shoot in their life. And they don't know how to pose. And I think that that's a huge issue in our society is that women are sitting at home, um, maybe building families, and they're looking at those girls in those magazines, and they're comparing themselves to a woman who has a team of 10 people behind her, making her look that beautiful. And on top of that, Photoshop and editing and professional lighting, there's just so much that goes into those professional photo shoots to create those advertisements or, or the Instagram models, all of that. And boudoir is about a professional photographer who specializes in taking everyday women and giving them that team and giving them that queen experience of really showcasing how beautiful they can be with a beautiful makeover, a different wardrobe, professional lighting, and showcasing that they can have that experience just like anyone else. And it doesn't matter if you've got years of experience in front of the camera. You know, I could see that because I've seen some of your photographs. Um, as a, def, definitely a self-esteem builder. There's no mm -hmm. doubt about that in my mind. Uh, what I'm interested in, though, is what is the use of the photo afterwards? During the experience, I'm trying to make a distinction here. Mm -hmm. During the experience, I could clearly see feeling like a queen. 
Uh, I did some television for about four years, and they would make me up right before the television uh, Mm. viewing on uh, FNN, now CNN. And it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. It was a huge self-esteem builder. I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I would love to do it again. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, uh, because of ageism, I'm now the old blonde, not the new blonde. <laughs> and that's the that's the God's honest truth. Um, you you become invisible when you mm-hmm. become older. So I could see the idea of visibility mm-hmm. being a real wonderful part of what you do. But then what is the use of these photographs private? Is it for a gift? to your mate, let's say, on your anniversary? Uh, or is it just the experience more than the end product that's so valuable here? What's your take on this? It's your work. I would say it's a little bit different for everyone. I would say that I also get probably equal amount of women reaching out to do it just for themselves as well as just for their partners as a gift or a anniversary gift. That's very common that I get those inquiries. But overall, I find, especially with boudoir trending in the last year or so, that more and more women are reaching out because they want to almost take back their bodies and re-embrace themselves and find that confidence. And I will say that even the women that reach out to me initially wanting to do it for a gift for their partners, throughout the process of the session and getting their photos back, they always always say, well, I'm sure he'll like them, but he's lucky if he's getting this book because it's mine. (laughs) So, you know, I I think it really truly is about us as women trying to embrace our bodies, especially with so many changes that we go through. We have children, our bodies change, our skin changes, like you said, aging. And I think that boudoir is a way for women to claim back that confidence and embrace their body no matter what what stage their body is in throughout their life. And I think that for most of my clients, holding that book and that album, it's something that they look back on and cherish for the rest of their lives. And some of them even come back and do multiple boudoir shoots so that they can catalog those changes throughout their life. There's a very, very famous exhibit, a very famous photographer uh, who took the same two women year after year for, I think, about 40 years. Really mm. wonderful exhibit was in the MoMA. Uh, and I could see this, and I do want to bring it down to, to the older adult. Uh, first of all, when I was 65, my gift to myself was I learned pole dancing. Wow. Yeah. And I was a terrible pole dancer. Oh, the worst. <laughs> but I was a terrific lap dancer, I have to tell you. <laughs> I actually won that, that contest. But the fact is that showing off your body is very, very liberating. Mm-hmm. If you are not being objectified, as you said, if you're doing it for your mm-hmm. own self, it makes a huge difference. This, the way you felt when you were being photographed as a model, as opposed to you being the photographer, mm-hmm. you, th- that that uh, being in control rather than being objectified is a big, big breakthrough. And I would love to do this with older adults without obscuring their wrinkles without fixing them and just seeing the beauty of the body as we age, because we have not been able to do that in images. Our advertising Mm -hmm. images are either making us look like we're just 20 years old, trying to make 70 year olds look like they're 20 or making us look like we're we're patients and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, poor, poor them. 
uh, we can't wait to get them a cane. So this is uh, something also that, uh, to switch a little bit, you're a leader in that, but you're a leader in something else too. You've just come off a movie, your very first movie, and it also has a message, an important message. Tell us about that. Yes, I just recently filmed February's Dog, and it's premiering May 7th in Calgary. So it's about mental health awareness. And, you know, it's about showcasing that mental health isn't just about one individual. We follow um, Dale Walters in the film, and he goes through the loss of his job. And I think that we can all relate with that through COVID. And we showcase his journey and how that loss of job affected him mentally, as well as how it affected his friends and family directly around him. And I'm really proud to be a part of that strong message because mental health is something that affects everyone. And I will also say, uh, when we come back in our next Segment. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we have here Quinn uh, Teichma, who's very interested in what happens when a job is lost, when you are lost, when you have lost your self-confidence. It's all the same, really. Mm-hmm. And I do want to talk about that in respect to retirement, because while you, Quinn, cannot even imagine retirement at this <laughs> moment, or maybe ever in your life, <laughs> there are two, two suicide statistics. One are young boys, age 17, and the other are men over the age of 74. Those are the two highest suicide rates. And mm-hmm. the fact is uh, they're more or less for the same reason, not seeing your place in the world. And this is certainly your your movie uh, deals with that in a very profound way. So we come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. And then we're going to have even more fun because we're going to talk a little bit about how these pageants are judged. Uh, we got to go back. You know, Quinn is a person of many parts. So I love to talk to her on many levels about many things. Don't you guys go anywhere. Full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. da 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 you may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy, and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bowl, the Fountain of Truth, the Fountain of Truth about aging. And we're doing a variety of new things. Uh, please join us on Facebook because we will be doing some live events right on Facebook. Right now, we're doing a May 17th event through Eventbrite. It's called Three Keys to Successful Aging, Live Fearlessly and Joyfully. Not only do we deal with how to make more money, how to be healthier, have better behaviors, and of course, the old saw that we're all talking about in retirement, purposeful living, not purposeful life. I cannot, I just cannot bear it when people say, what's your life purpose? As if now after retirement, you have to have a life purpose. Well, there is no such thing as one life purpose. And if we knew it, we would probably be omniscient, but we can live purposefully and words make a difference. And we will discuss that difference. And after 90 minutes, people are just lit up. They go away from these sessions and they begin to volunteer and they write their first book that they've been thinking about for 20 years. uh, And they also get healthier. 
and they even invest better. So uh, if you go from fear to joy, lots of things open up. All you have to do is go to adrianberg.com, A-D-R-I-A-N-E-B-E-R-G.com, and there you will see the description of our event and then directly to Eventbrite for your free registration. Okay, and that is May 17th coming up. Right now we are unaccountably at our last session with uh, Quinn uh, Tichma, and we have been talking about everything from boudoir photography, self-image, self-confidence, beauty pageants, feminism, uh, off-the-grid living, my goodness. But right now we're talking about her latest movie, where she is the very, for the very first time, um, not only a model, but now a star. And it is about mental health and the loss of a job. Now, I have to ask you, Quinn, when you were seeing this, were these things that had been experienced by you or somebody in your life, or were you learning about what happens when somebody no longer has their job and, and they get derailed by it? Was this a new problem facing you that you had to act in or something that was part of your life at any time? It's been interesting. You know, the movie itself was based on many people's true stories. It's kind of a bunch of them jumbled up together and put into one direct story. And a lot of it is based on those exact real life scenarios that happened. And for myself, I had actually been going through a few different um, <laughs> difficult times in my life. Primarily at that time, I was just dealing with my own partner losing his job. And I had to deal with not only his mental um, struggles, but also the struggles of then reorganizing our life. And I actually ended up putting him through school. And it was a struggle. It was not something that I had planned for. And it was a weight that I took on from our life together. And fast forward years later, we're no longer together. But I still feel like that was something that was necessary for me to go through to understand what it takes to be successful and understand what it takes uh, when you're in a position that you don't necessarily want to be in and you still have to just stay positive and keep going. Well, I have to, uh, in another show uh, and in another life of mine, I was a divorce lawyer. I cannot tell you how many women put their men through college medical school, sometimes for 12 years, and mm-hmm. then they ran off with the nurse. Uh, yep. But that, that's, how, that's, <laughs> that's a whole other topic. We could talk all day about topic. that. I, I had a very, very good business. Let me, <laughs> let me tell you that much. But going, going to this, I want to give you another take on this one. You know, you're talking about a variety of people who've lost their job get derailed. Mm-hmm. Retirement can be terrible in that mm-hmm. sense. You Just because you are voluntarily and sometimes not voluntarily leaving your work doesn't mean it doesn't derail you. Mm-hmm. It can be a spiraling down because you have to remember that the word retirement means withdrawal. That's what it means. Mm-hmm. It means retiring from all that you have. And all of that uh, affects everybody around you. And it can be a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and this is what uh, becomes uh, surprising, it's not right away. It takes a while, a couple of years even. Everybody's happy and peppy and doing all the things that they never did before and had no time because they were working. And after they've done it, now what? So the idea is to be ever curious. 
That's the hard part. Mm. To continually fuel your awareness and your love of life and your curiosity. Uh, the, the easy part is living longer. The harder <laughs> part is what are you going to do with your time? So I'm sure some of these things are, are dealt with in the movie. So tell us uh, the name of the movie. I know it's being released in Canada. Do you, uh, is it going to be in festivals? What's your idea for this? Yeah, we are premiering May 7th in Calgary. So there's actually tickets to the gala red carpet event. We're going all out. We've got an incredible gala planned for right before the premiere. And then we've been picked up by Adler and Associates, who is going to be doing the theater release post premiere. So that's really wonderful now, too, because people are going back to to live movies. You know, the everything was streaming for the last couple of years. Yes. It was very difficult for the industry. Very difficult. Yeah, and that's a struggle that we faced. You know, we had to put off our premiere for two years. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. So now, uh, in the last couple of minutes we have left, let's get back to uh, a question I've always had in my mind because I did watch the old-fashioned beauty pageants, and I loved mm-hmm. it, by the way. And, and at that time, I lived in New mm-hmm. Jersey, not very far from, uh, you know, from where. They began with the uh, Miss USA pageant actually began. So mm-hmm. judging, you did say to us that times have changed, that there's a real interest in who the person is, mm-hmm. not only what the person looks like. And yet you yourself mentioned, oh, you know, I have to improve my walk. You said that. Mm-hmm. So all of these things are, are brought to bear in the judging. Mm-hmm. So who really does win? What what do you, you have to be thinking about this right now? What are the elements that are going to make you be the queen? It's the entire package, you know, it's being confident to walk straight out on that stage and not fall on your face hopefully. Right. <laughs> and it's everything else, you know. I think that a huge amount of um the entire competition is based on your humanitarian project. It's actually 25% of your overall mark. And it's something that I believe a lot of contestants don't put enough energy into. And that's where I'm focusing most of my energy. Because at the end of the day, I would be happy if I even just won Miss Humanitarian. Because that's what's important to me. And I'm fundraising for SOS Children's Villages this year. They provide healthy, safe homes for kids in over 134 countries last year. So I really want to fundraise not only the funds themselves, but the awareness for the actual charity. So I'm doing public live events where I'm inviting people to the events to raise awareness. I'm filming the events. And then I'm actually hosting on the 24th, a confidence training um, session with kids. So I really want to give them the tools to be going into the workplace. And I want to really showcase that I'm actually doing a humanitarian project that is affecting change locally within my community and reaching out to SOS internationally as well on all of the incredible projects that they're doing. And to me, that humanitarian project is the most important part of the competition. And it is 25% of your mark. So again, like if you don't focus on that, you don't have a chance of winning the title and being able to represent Canada at Miss Universe. And in the end, like having that title and being able to build that up is what's going to give me the voice to be able to create real change in our communities. 
Well, being an agent of change has now become a focus for uh, many people in your generation. We had other names for it. We did it too, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we had other names for it. Um, and, uh, and, and less global outreach. So last week or the week before, we had the folks from HelpAge on our show because I work with the United Nations. And they are helping people on the ground with regard to people over 65 in the Ukraine. And I'd be very, very happy to also promote on my social media as well as the show, the work for SOS. So please send me that information and I will continue to uh, to post with regard to that. And let's just wrap up with this. The live event, the event for training for the kids, will that be live or online? It'll actually be live. I am looking to stream some of it online as well, but we're definitely going to be videoing it because I am actually creating a docu-short for my humanitarian project to promote SOS Children's Villages throughout the next year and ongoing. So we are doing this filming throughout the course of the next month. On the 24th, it will be a live event and training and everyone will also receive new headshots, which I think is really important going into the workplace. And and it's just that book that boost, you know, that mental boost of having that. And the projects that we are fundraising for through SOS is actually two unique ones. We're doing South Sudan as well as Ukraine. Very interesting. Fascinating. So there's always a connection. And Mm -hmm. um, this is the unintended consequences sometimes of having a bad patch. Here's Mm, a person, Quinn uh, Tichma, who had a bad patch as a kid, Uh, was bullied had some things done to her that she certainly did not deserve. But what did she do with it? That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Not what happened, but what do you do with it? And you can see from our uh, conversation, you become a model, you make movies, you, bec- you own your own photography studio, <laughs> you run a beauty pageant, uh, you change the world, you become an agent of change and a thought leader. And we thank you. We're so proud of you, Quinn. We're so proud of you for going through what you went through and coming out where you came out. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful. Take care. And you know what I'll tell you guys? I always say it every week. Get out there, kids, and make it happen. I need a problem.